Super Talk Mississippi media production. You're listening to Sports Talk Mississippi On Demand, presented by Pearl River Resort. Escape to Choctaw, Mississippi and enjoy world-class gaming, the Dancing Rabbit Golf Club, and Geyser Falls Water Park. Escape to Pearl River Resort. To the junction, in the grove, and to the top. This, this is Sports Talk Mississippi. On your radio and in the game. Right here on Super Talk Mississippi. What a weekend. Back with you on this Monday afternoon, Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming online at supertalk.fm. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, Brian Scott Rippey. Sports Talk brought to you every day by Mississippi Land Bank, where they know the lay of the land. If you've got land financing needs of any kind, whether it's buy a piece of property, a uh, an equipment loan, maybe you're going to build a house in the country, or refinance an existing loan, Mississippi Land Bank can help. If you're in North Mississippi, check out their website, mslandbank.com. You can give them a call or stop by one of their many branch locations scattered across North Mississippi. Glad to have you along. Whatever will we talk about this afternoon? Goodness gracious, we've got a lot to get to. But first, how was your weekend, Michael? Weekend was good. Uh, finally actually got to leave town and do something fun for a little while and came back and realized we have a bunch of more work and house stuff to do. So it was a nice break, but it was really just delaying more work. But yeah, good weekend overall. It's kind of what weekends are for, though, right? Is putting off what you need to be doing instead and doing what you want to do? <laughs> exactly. I mean, what what's the wrong in procrastinating every once in a while? Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm world class at that. How are you with procrastinating, Rippy? Not much left to procrastinate. Oh, you're close to being done done, aren't you? Yeah, I pulled one of the classic uh, all-nighters last night, essentially, to get some stuff done. We'll be soon calling him Master Rippy. Doctor. No, I don't think you get a doctor for having a master's degree. We'll see. Are you going to work on a Ph.D. now? No, I'm just going to make people call me doctor. Okay. Uh, hey, Dad, do you anticipate calling Rippy Dr. Rippy? I got no problem calling him Dr. Rippy. Well, in oh, fairness, Dr. Hey, Dad. nobody's going <laughs> to... Doctor? All right, Chief. <laughs> I mean, nobody's going to ask you to show it, so if you say you have a doctorate, what are they going to do? Say, hey, present it to me. No, they'll just take George your O'Leary tried that, and it didn't work. Uh, that's right. Rippy you could eventually get called smarter, on it. A little slicker. Well, just don't put there it on a job application, but when you meet somebody at a party, just say that's what you are and have them call you that. Just not in the Western Hey, hey, hey I'm, I'm George. Oh, yeah, I'm Dr. Brian Scott Rippy. Nice to meet you. <laughs> exactly. It's not a lie uh, if you believe it. Exactly. I suppose. How was your weekend, hey, Dad? Emotional. Very emotional weekend I, because of entertainment. I, I went and Wait, saw did you Avengers cry? Endgame. And I went and obviously watched Game of Thrones last night. And, uh, yeah, a lot going on there in my brain. When you say emotional, does that mean that you cried? Uh, I did not. Did I cry? I may have shed a, a, I can't. – I'm not giving away any spoilers to Endgame, but there may have been a part where a very manly tear came to my eye. Endgame. That's the name of the, uh, the Avengers flick, right? Right. $350 million – at the U.S. box office, and $1.2 billion worldwide. They got 15 bucks out of me. I actually uh, I got an email from Bob Iger earlier today thanking everybody in the entire company 
that had anything to do with Avengers, which I didn't. Doesn't uh, matter. Take the credit, <laughs> just like Doctor Rippy. Just take the credit. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm glad that uh, that you enjoyed my flick this weekend. Um, <laughs> it is really hard to get on anything social media related on Sunday nights or Monday mornings anymore because Game of Thrones takes over Twitter. It was crazy. Last night was well, unbelievable. Because she killed him, right? That, 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 it, stop. Yeah. Well, hold on a second. Yes, like, absolutely. It's not all over. I mean, the 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 little gif of her stabbing the guys there. Did I just spoil something? For no, somebody? you didn't. Because here's the thing about a show like this. Now it's like a live game. That that's what it's it's become. Because like 40 million people watched it last night. If you don't watch it live. It's like you didn't watch the Super Bowl live. You, you can't tape the Super Bowl and hope you don't hear about it and watch it later. It doesn't work that way with something of this magnitude. If you don't want it to be spoiled, watch it live. It's not like a movie where you have to pay, you have to buy a ticket, and you can't go watch it on demand whenever you want to. If you didn't watch it starting at 8 o'clock Central last night, after 9 o'clock, spoiler, I mean, you, you can get spoiled. Sorry, that's too bad. Yeah, Arya killed him, and it was awesome. Was I was going to ask you what the chick's name was. Arya? Arya You did Arya that Stark. way better than I ever could have. She killed him, and then everybody went nuts. It was awesome. Yeah, it was It was, It was. was a spectacle. Not today, boys. Exactly. Is, is, exactly. Isn't that the line? Is Look that the takeaway line? Look at him with the references. It, it's, not, so it's not today, boys, but it's close. What do it's you close. say to the god of death? Not today. Not today. I added boys because Just I'm talking to the th- four of you. If, Give the man some some props here. He is coming strong. This is a good start to the week. I'll go yeah, ahead and you read Twitter. Give That's credit I for I mean, reading look, Twitter. Look, I, I was sitting in a hotel room all by myself last night and then got on an early flight this morning. I had to do something to keep myself awake this morning, and so all you could do is read Game of Thrones references. Arya is her name. So she's Aria. kind of a big deal. Massive yes. deal. Hey, I hate to spoil it for you guys, but she's going to die. Probably. No, uh-uh. She might, she might make it. I think she's making it. We got somebody complaining about spoilers on the ceasefire Man, text line. It, I, I, well, agree. I agree with you, Mike. This, a TV show, I don't have a whole lot of... A, a movie is one thing, you know, because it opens on Thursday night at midnight. I'm, I, I'm not going to that. So don't spoil that. But a TV show that you can watch on demand, eh, you should just watch it. Yeah, I don't know what I spoiled for anybody. I mean, that that's the problem here. All I am doing is sharing the information that is impossible to miss on the uh, on the, the Twitter.com. You spoiled literally the, the, the climax of the show, like the biggest event to happen in it so far is what you spoiled. Yeah, well, sorry. <laughs> You'll have to forgive me for that. And uh, for who, who is it that I offended that I spoiled it for? Uh see here. Uh, just someone from the 601. Uh, yeah, well, sorry, sir or madam in central Mississippi. You should have watched it. If you didn't know that already, then you're living in a hole. I almost admire that you're so disconnected from information that you didn't know that that's what happened until now. It, it is fairly impressive. Hey, what about sports this weekend? Did anything, anything happen there? Oh, yeah, yeah, just just a thing or two. Pretty good weekend on the diamond. For all of the Mississippi teams, a sweep for the Bulldogs over the Bulldogs, a sweep for the Rebels over the Aggies, and a sweep for the Golden Eagles over the Blue Raiders. We'll talk with Scott Berry coming up in about 20 minutes. 
Chris Lamonis will join us in the 4 o'clock hour. Mike Bianco in the 5 o'clock hour a little bit later this afternoon. On Friday, you had round two of the NFL draft. That was Friday night. And then on Saturday, rounds three through seven. It was a good couple of days for the state of Mississippi, guys that went to high school in Mississippi. It was a good couple of days for, for Ole Miss and for Mississippi State. Uh, what, six Ole Miss players end up getting drafted. Five Mississippi State players end up getting drafted. Both... Um, both schools had four players that got drafted in the first three rounds of the draft. Uh, obviously, Mississippi State with the three first-rounders. It's a really good weekend all the way around. And then you had the the undrafted free agent signings, and we'll get to all those as we move through the, uh, the course of the show this afternoon. I always think it's cool for the guys that, okay, yeah, would you have liked to have gotten drafted? Absolutely. Does your dream of playing football professionally end if you don't hear your name called over the, those three days, no, it doesn't. And it's certainly a lot harder to make a team. It's it's harder to become a longtime pro if you're not drafted. But those stories of guys that are undrafted free agents that end up having, you know, re- reasonable to to quite good NFL careers are really really cool stories. Is, is yeah. there, hey Dad, is there is there an undrafted free agent? That you that like immediately comes to mind to you when you go. Oh, that's that's one of the great stories in the NFL. Yeah, uh, for the Saints, Michael Lewis, who okay. I don't even I don't even know if that's an undrafted free agent. He was a beer truck driver who showed up for a tryout, but he became a, a key part of of those good Saints teams that you know right when Peyton took over and Breeze was there in, in the uh, the late two thousands and, and was a, a I, I want to say he made a Pro Bowl as a special teams player. So yeah. You're absolutely right. Wes Welker was an undrafted free agent. Like half the league's undrafted, right? I mean, Tony close Romo. to it, not exactly. Yeah, Tony, Tony Romo, maybe yeah. the 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 biggest name all time. Um, I just I did a quick Google search on best ever undrafted free agents. Adam Vinatieri, uh, pretty good career for the kicker. Got a bunch of kickers. You remember Priest Holmes, the running back yeah. for yeah. that was so good with Kansas City for a few years. Yeah, undrafted free agent. I randomly back years ago when I played fantasy football for a few seasons, I randomly took him one year. He ended up being like the the number one guy the following year. He had about a two or three year stretch where he was the top running back in fantasy football. Uh, I James also Harrison. went undrafted, so you know that means something. You did? Yeah, I didn't. Just another year that I got passed up. The great Joe Jacoby was an undrafted free agent out of Louisville. The Hawks. Antonio Gates was an undrafted free agent. You mentioned Tony Romo. They had a lot of really good names. I wonder if there's anybody this year as an undrafted free agent. Lou Groza, undrafted free agent. Offensive lineman slash kicker. It's not a combination that you see very often anymore. Sports Talk Mississippi with you in the Renaissance Bank studio. We'll talk a little bit more about the NFL draft and what it looked like in the state of Mississippi when we come back after this in the Renaissance Bank studio. Sports Talk Mississippi with you on this Monday afternoon. Let's take a look at the NFL draft and how it ended up. We talked on Friday about what happened on Thursday night. Three Mississippi State players going in the first round. Jeffrey Simmons, number 19 overall to the Tennessee Titans. Montez Sweat and Jonathan Abram going back-to-back at 26 and 27 
to Washington, Montez Sweat to Washington, and then Abram to the Raiders. And then you got to uh, got to round two and round three, and you had a bunch of names that were called over the uh, the final couple couple of days of the draft. Elton Jenkins goes to Green Bay, forty fourth pick overall. Hey, Dad, that's a, that's a nice spot for him. Yeah, that's about where I had I had seen some projections was that early to mid second round from him. There were even some projections that had him sneaking into the first round, but uh, a good spot. You know, you can get up there with a, with. You know, Green Bay is such an interesting team because they have Aaron Rodgers, so you, you think that they're probably going to be pretty good and that last year was more of an anomaly than anything else. So a, a good spot for Jenkins. I, my only wish, you know, a few picks later, the Saints would also draft a center. I wish he could have fell down there. I would have liked to have seen him in front of uh, Drew Brees. A.J. Brown went number 51 to the Tennessee Titans. You like that pick, Rippy? Titans fan? Yeah, I do. I think uh... – I think he'll be useful there, like I would think, and I don't know this for a fact at all, but I'm just kind of guessing he would probably predominantly be used in the slot, which is kind of similar to where he was used at Ole Miss, whether you want to say that was appropriately used or not, but I think he fits well there. Um, Where did Greg Little go? He 37th went- to the Panthers. They traded up 10 spots to get him from the Seahawks. Okay, so he went 37th. So he went uh, a few picks in front of Elton Jenkins. Yeah, I skipped that one somehow, but... It's all right. Uh, First rebel off the board. Do you have that pegged? No, I did not. No, but did if not. you look at his pass blocking stats, it kind of makes sense. I, I know there was some um, questions about him specifically. He didn't test well strength wise in the combine, and then the offense. I mean, all of the offensive players for Ole Miss had questions because of the offense that they ran. That that's just what it boiled down to. But his pass blocking stats are hard to believe. Like you have to double check when you read them how good he was pass blocking in the SEC where, as you saw over the weekend, had a plethora of elite pass rushers and they knew what was coming and yet he still, what was it, in 900 snaps, gave up like 24 quarterback pressures in one sack as a senior, that's unbe- or as a junior, that's unbelievable. So, and never missed a game. And he never missed a game. But playing left tackle in the SEC West... I mean, what a great. I was texting my sister and brother in law who are big Panthers fans. It's an incredible value pick in the second round, getting a guy that gave up one sack as a left tackle in the SEC. TK Metcalf goes number 64 to Seattle. There's been a lot that has, has been out there about that pick. Um, you, you heard the phone call, the emotional phone call, um, where he talks to the, the GM from Seattle, and then he's on the phone with, with Pete Carroll, and he asks him, you know, why'd you guys wait so long? Um, and then you've also got the video that emerged from his, uh, I guess it was his combine interview, where a scout convinced him to walk into the meeting room where you've got all the assistant coaches and Pete Carroll and some of the brass from Seattle. They convinced him to go in with his shirt off. So he walks into the room, no shirt, and Pete Carroll takes his shirt off, and they all laugh about it and they get a big hoot. The only reason I mention that is... It looked like there was a connection there between the Seahawks and Pete Carroll and that staff and DK Metcalf. But you've also got the report out of the Bay Area where there's some draft analyst who came in and said that not only did the draft interview between DK Metcalf and the 49ers not go well, it actually got contentious. Which is kind of hard for me to wrap my mind around how that happens. Maybe I don't understand enough about how those interviews work. Is it not kind of odd, kind of juxtaposing those two 
I mean, you, you, you've, you've heard an anecdote about one of them, the San Francisco deal, and then you've seen and heard the, some of the conversations back and forth between the Seattle and, and DK Metcalf. Are, are those two things kind of hard for you to make dovetail, make work together? It is, especially knowing and talking to, to people who have been around DK. He doesn't really strike most as that kind of guy, but without knowing what happened specifically in this meeting, I mean, you read it every year that the kind of questions and the things that are asked of players during these meetings, and sometimes teams take it too far. I'm not saying that happened in this case. I don't know, but... I mean, one player, for example, was asked if his mom was a prostitute in one of these meetings to to try to get his reaction. Sometimes these teams push, really push these boundaries to get reactions from these kids, and maybe that happened here. That's exactly what I was just about to to, to say, that, you know, the NFL, I mean, they, they are notorious for asking the wrong question of people sometimes, and... You know, if you push, everybody's got that button that if you push it, that's where that's where they're going to lose their temper. And maybe the 49ers just found what DK's was and it went from there. The medical deal was probably undersold too. Like I, I feel like NFL teams probably. Too, I mean, he broke his neck. Like they used some different words and kind of made it sound minor, and understandably so. To but try no, to he broke it. his neck. Yeah, so I imagine that factored into it. And then of course you had kind of the lateral quickness issues. Where he was basically on par with Tom Brady. Yeah. Yeah. So. Good spot in Seattle, though, especially, it's unfortunate news, but with Doug Baldwin basically being forced into retirement, they especially need a receiver now. Yeah. And with the way Wilson plays, like, on the run all the time, improvising downfield late, though, it seemed like a like structurally a pretty good fit. Yeah. Gary Green to Indianapolis at 199. Hey, Dan, I've always liked Gary Green as a player. Can can he fit into the scheme at Indianapolis and be a linebacker that you know that's a a legit player? I think so because he has that versatility. Like like you mentioned, he I think he can play with his hand on the ground or he can play back as as a linebacker. He's a really good athlete. You know, you don't lose a whole ton in pass coverage with him because he's got great quickness. I think he ran a four, five, something or other at the uh, at the combine. He was sort of overshadowed by what Montez Sweat did, obviously. But I, I think he can be an NFL player. You know, he, he when he came to Mississippi State, there was a lot of talk of, of, about you know what kind of great athlete he was. I think he showed that. He showed the versatility. So, you know, I think that Indianapolis got pretty decent value with that pick. Two guys that I would be really happy for if it worked out. You, you get drafted at 246 as an offensive lineman, kind of a crapshoot as to whether or not you actually make the team. Javon Patterson at Indianapolis. Uh, you know, I go back to uh, Borky. Th- I don't know if you were here yet or not, but we did a show from uh, Pedal bef- when, when Javon Patterson was a rising senior. So it was like the spring of his junior year. And I remember watching and looking, and, and he looked like a ready-made offensive lineman for the SEC at that point. And he's just a good guy. I mean, he's been really involved and academically has kind of done what he was supposed to. He's one of those guys that you hope that it works out for. And then it's kind of hard also not to pull for Ken Webster, who goes at 252. If you rewind to that Ole Miss game in 2017, season opener 2017 against Florida State, or is it 16? 16. So it's the, the season opener in 2016 when Ole Miss – uh, you know, has the lead against Florida State, and he goes down early in that ball game, misses the rest of the year, fought injuries, was never quite the same player. I mean, he was he was kind of set to be a lockdown corner on that team. They felt great about him going into the year, 
for him to get drafted and get a shot, and I feel like we look at New England differently, right? Because we, we all kind of believe that everything that Bill Belichick touches turns to gold, and you wonder if that could be the case for Ken Webster. He tested well what Pro Day Combine. That's probably the reason that he, that he got drafted. And he recovered from that injury well in 2017. It kind of got, like, he played pretty good football, but it kind of got overshadowed in, in what was a fairly wild year in 2017. But he recovered from that a lot better than I think some probably originally thought. Yeah. Hey, hey, Dad, from the undrafted free agents from Mississippi State, Deion Calhoun, Jamal Peters, Chris Rayford, Braxton Hoyette, Mark McLaurin, uh, Nick Fitzgerald, out of that group, who's got the best chance to make a team? Probably Deion Calhoun. He's a guy I thought was going to be drafted. I thought he might be a late sixth, seventh round pick. Uh, big physical offensive lineman. You know, I think he'll fit in well. Uh, you know, I'm interested to see what Miami's going to do offensively now with Josh Rosen as a Dolphin and and what they're going to be. But I think Calhoun's a guy who can fit into any scheme. And yeah, and one guy who got left off who is a sentimental favorite, but uh, Aris Williams went to uh, Indianapolis. He was so productive in college when he had the chance, but he did not test well. I think he ran high four sevens at his pro day and uh, obviously had no chance to get drafted there. But we'll see what he can do in Indy. What about Mark McLaurin? A lot of production in college. I I don't know. He had a lot of production in college, but he again the guy who tested poorly. He ran four seven, uh, four eight, I think at the at the combine. And I mean, nobody's gonna draft a safety running that slow and he didn't he didn't make up for it in his pro day i think he was four seven there as well yeah. so we'll we'll see i think braxton oyette's got a shot and of course nick fitzgerald we'll see if he can become uh, another Taysom hill type zedrick woods goes to jacksonville from old miss Javian hamilton goes to green bay demarcus lodge gets a shot with tampa as an undrafted free agent i can see demarcus lodge ending up with a roster spot yeah i don't know which team but i think he could make a roster next fall We'll see. Ole Miss had a big weekend this past weekend. Um, Friday night, big win, and it was kind of a weird game. It was a really tight game into the sixth inning. Ole Miss scores six twice, I guess in the sixth and the seventh. Is that right? Sixth and the seventh, yeah. Like Asa Lacey was really good. What struck out 11 and walked three. But from an approach standpoint, Ole Miss got his pitch count up to over 100 by the sixth. I think he left at 108. And then, you know, once they got into A&M's bullpen, they they kind of feasted on it, put up a sixth spot in the sixth and the seventh. And, what, that game finished 13-2, I think? 13-3. Braden Shoemake hit a solo home run in the top of the ninth inning. So that thing went a mile. It did. It was, uh, it was hit a long way. So Ole Miss wins game one in extra innings in 11 innings. They get a route in game two, and then you got kind of a kind of another tight one, kind of a barn burner in game three. Ole Miss wins it on a wild pitch. Now they might have won the game regardless. They had the bases loaded with one out or nobody out. One out. Okay, bases loaded, one out. So, yeah. And Michael Fitzsimmons at the plate, and he takes kind of a three quarter swing on a fastball that's up and in. And I don't know if that distracted. Honer, the catcher. The catcher wanted a breaking ball down and away, you can tell from setting up, and he got a fastball. Is that why he was screaming at the guy with, yes. as they were walking off the that field? Kid, that guy, and Dillard even pointed this out after the game, that guy, Honer, had been really good all weekend. Like, really that was good. bizarre seeing a ball get by. But if you watch the replay, he's setting up for a breaking ball away, and it was not a breaking ball, and it was not away. It was up and in, 
and it got by him. It was a very strange ending of the game because I thought it was a foul ball because it got by him with such ease. Like mm-hmm. I was like, you had some, there had to have been contact, but obviously there was not. And the game ends. But story of that game is Gunnar Hoagland easily. He was good. Really Pretty long six innings. And like that's the kind of link that would change Ole Miss's ceiling as a team because they're not getting any on Sunday or Saturday, game three, whatever you want to call it. It's a weird situation because if it had, if it hadn't have been a Tuesday, like a Tuesday, and then a Thursday Saturday turnaround, you probably would have seen Zach Phillips in that slot with the way he's been pitching. But Hoagland, it's probably his job for another couple weeks. Well, and isn't that really best case scenario for Ole Miss in that they've got Zach Phillips to throw two more midweek games, the the game against Southern Miss coming up on Wednesday night, and then the game against Arkansas State on the road. Yeah, because they can't afford to lose either one of no, those. No, really. they can't. Because you're already probably going to have to get if they're they're probably going to have to get to 18 conference wins to kind of feel good about hosting without going nuts in Hoover. Given kind of their RPI scenario, you can't they can't really afford to lose either one of those. And and hey, Dad, isn't it crazy how the I mean, this was an interesting weekend in that. Basically, everybody at the top of the West stayed exactly put. But you had no margin for error because everybody else was winning. Arkansas gets a sweep against Tennessee, and it took extra innings yesterday to finish off the sweep. Mississippi State sweeps Georgia. Ole Miss sweeps Texas A&M. Auburn falls back when they lose and and get swept swept by, by Vanderbilt. So you see what getting swept can do to you. And LSU manages to stay right there in the mix by winning two of three after they lose the first one. Yeah, it, it's crazy that this. You look at this weekend, and we compare it to last weekend, and we were all concerned about Mississippi State. What's going to happen? They got swept. Are they going to be okay? We were concerned about Ole Miss, you know, and especially after Tuesday's game, you thought, oh my gosh, yeah. this team. I don't know. And then they, what do they do? They just both turn around. They stay right in the race. They get the job done. And now, you know. They both have big road series this week, but that series in Oxford, you know, if, if Arkansas slips up, the uh, the West champion might get decided there. It could very well. I don't know if Arkansas is going to slip. I don't know. They're playing really, really good right now. Who do they? Who does Arkansas have? Arkansas. Ask questions like that, Rippy. That you know we don't know. They go to Kentucky this coming weekend, and then they host LSU, and then they play. Is it A and M in the, the final the weekend at at A and M? It's strange because Ole Miss is thirteen and eight, and you're kind of sitting there like, how did they get there? Like last year's team was twelve and eleven at one point at South Carolina, which would have been point? this past weekend. Yeah, now they got red hot to finish, but they were twelve and eleven. They won six of their last seven. Um, you know, you said Ole Miss has got to get to eighteen to be a host. All of a sudden, there is a roadmap. To getting to 18. It's not insane to think that Ole Miss could get 18 wins in the league. No, you got, you got three weekends to win five games. Sports Talk Mississippi. We've got winners and losers coming up. Chris Lamonis in the 4 o'clock hour. Going to hear from a Make-A-Wish patient as well. A Make-A-Wish kid in the 4 o'clock hour and a whole lot more with you in the Renaissance Bank studio. Sports Talk Mississippi Monday afternoon with you. Sports Talk brought to you every day by Mississippi Land Bank online, mslandbank.com. Mississippi Land Bank, where they know the lay of the land. If you've got land financing or refinancing needs, then Mississippi Land Bank can help. They've been financing land for over 100 years. You found that perfect spot where you want to buy the property and 
be able to hunt deer on your own spot, or maybe you've got the, the fishing hole that you are ready to make your own, Mississippi Land Bank can help. What about building a house in the country? Yep, they can do that too. And if it's equipment needs or refinancing an existing loan, Mississippi Land Bank can help. Branch locations scattered across North Mississippi. You can find those on their website, mslandbank.com. Glad to have you along. Crazy busy weekend. It was a fun weekend, and it was a successful weekend in the state of Mississippi. We'll go straw poll here, guys. We can either continue the baseball conversation or we can go to winners and losers. And if we don't do winners and losers right now, we can push that back and do it later this afternoon. Hey, Dad, vote. I think we should do baseball. Baseball? Rippy? I'm good with whatever. I'll abstain. He's abstaining. Borky? I'll abstain, too. It, it doesn't matter. All right, well, it's going to be baseball two to none, and we'll push winners and losers back just a little while. I think it's important to keep talking about what's going on while it's all fresh on the mind. So right now, the college baseball standings in the SEC – Vanderbilt's trying to run away with the East. They're now 15-6. and six. I think they've won seven in a row in league play. Georgia gets swept. That was a tough weekend for Georgia to go from first place to now two games behind Vanderbilt after being swept. Missouri's sitting at 10-10-1. and one. And to correct what we talked about a few weeks back, guys, Missouri is eligible for the conference tournament because their appeal is ongoing. So... That's bad news for South Carolina, Kentucky, and Alabama because those three teams are going to be playing for one spot in the SEC tournament. Tennessee goes from 9 and 9 to 9 and 12 after being swept at Arkansas. Florida wins 2 out of 3 to get to 9 and 12. South Carolina, Kentucky both 5 and 16. Bama's at the bottom of the West at 5 and 16. We all thought that Auburn was going to eventually kind of fall off a little bit. They've done just that. They are 10 and 11. Texas A&M's now got some ground to make up after being swept this weekend. Arkansas's 15 and 6. Mississippi State, Ole Miss and LSU all sitting there at 13 and 8. And basically everybody plays each other the rest of the way. I mean, hey dad, isn't that kind of the crazy deal so so Arkansas's got Kentucky, which is good for them, and then they've got LSU and Texas A&M. Right. Mississippi State has South Carolina to finish the year, which is good for them. But they've also got Ole Miss on the road and Texas A&M on the road. Yeah. Ole Miss is on the road this weekend against LSU, home for Mississippi State. Then they've got to go to Tennessee. And it's a Tennessee team that could very well be playing for a berth in the postseason. Because they're sitting on nine wins right now. they got to get to at least 13 to have a chance. No team with fewer than 13 conference wins has ever gotten into the NCAA tournament. And then you look at LSU. They've got Ole Miss at home this weekend, uh, at home this weekend, and then they go to Arkansas, and then in the final week of the regular season, LSU hosts Auburn. This thing's going to be wild to the to the end. It's it's going to be 
one of the the best conference uh, races we've ever had, just because you know we've had some close races, but to have this many teams, you got four teams with a legit shot to be the SEC West champion. And, and in reality, I don't think Vanderbilt's going to slip. They got a pretty easy schedule the rest of the way, but you know the SEC championship is not decided yet for sure. So yeah, I mean, dude, Vandy's schedule is cake the rest of the way. It really is. But I mean, you know, we say things like that, and then. Something strange happens. Kentucky takes two or three from Ole Miss. Tennessee takes two or three from Georgia. So you just don't ever know. Uh, Man, man, he's got South Carolina, Missouri, and Kentucky to finish out the year. Those last two teams pitch it pretty well. You just just never know what's going to happen. So we'll see. We'll see. It should be be a fun way to – especially these next two weeks, especially when you've got, you know, State, Texas A&M, Ole Miss, LSU, and then State and Ole Miss in two weeks. That that should be a lot of fun, and, and that that will finally give some some separation, I think, uh, in, in this race. Advantage Arkansas right now because they've got a two game lead with nine games to play. They've got the tiebreaker on Mississippi State. Ole Miss has the tiebreaker on Arkansas. We'll see what happens with Arkansas and LSU in a couple of weeks, but Arkansas all of a sudden is going veteran freshman freshman on the weekend. And you know their dude is Isaiah Campbell on Friday. But Wicklander's getting better and pitched really well against Tennessee. And then Connor Nolan took a no-hitter into the sixth yesterday and ended up going seven innings in the ballgame, which is the longest of his career. And he had a career-high ten strikeouts in the game also. If, If Arkansas now has three legit starters... It's kind of like Ole Miss, right? I mean, Will Etheridge is the known quantity. Doug Nikhazy, when he's good, is really good. And now have they figured something out with Gunnar Hoagland on Sunday, or is it still going to be kind of up and down each week with Gunnar Hoagland? I mean, I guess that remains to be seen. Because, I mean, he's shown flashes. Like, he wasn't – he was pretty good against Kentucky. Struck out, what, eight or nine – in a shorter game and then wasn't very good against Auburn and kind of comes back up. So that's probably, I mean, you look at him and maybe one or other two pieces, and if you look at their numbers down the stretch, that probably determines their season. Ole Miss gets a sweep this weekend without pitching Tyler Myers, right? They did. They did not have to pitch Myers. I do wonder, though, if that series is 1-1 who starts game three. Hmm. As opposed to 2-0. Interesting thing to look at. Big offensive weekend, hey, Dad, for Mississippi State. Really was. And, I mean, that was something that really surprised me. Even with Emerson Hancock being out, you know, Georgia is one of the be- is maybe the best pitching, pitching team in the conference. So, for them, for State to come in and get 19 runs, 9 runs, 6 runs, and really all weekend they, they just hit the ball well. A lot of their outs were really loud, too. So, I mean, I think about Elijah McNamee, he had an 0 for 12 weekend. Not a good weekend, but he hit two or three balls that were caught Three, four steps from the wall, so he, you know, he was driving the ball well, just couldn't get it over the, the, uh, the fence. So, big weekend for Mississippi State, complete turnaround, uh, especially on the offensive side of the ball. Borky, was Saturday the first time that you had seen Ole Miss in person this year? I went to the Governor's Cup, but because of where my non-seats were, I couldn't see anything. So, yeah. What'd you think? Um, it, it was a strange game. They had opportunities and, and really didn't get a chance to capitalize. And, and my seats weren't particularly good, so I didn't get to sit like right behind it and see how Hoagland was working, especially his breaking pitch. It all looks the same from uh, my vantage point. But 
as Rippy said earlier, that's that's all they needed. After the Auburn series, you asked me on, on that Monday how I felt about Ole Miss, and I said they're really close. That was as complete of a, of a series, Sunday even really notwithstanding, that, that I've seen them play maybe this year. And it was against a really good Texas A&M team, which, sidebar here, the first time Braden Shoemake comes up to bat, A&M fans take their shoes off and hold them up in the air. Not kidding. Witnessed it with my own eyes. Weirdest thing I've seen from Texas A&M since maybe ever, which is saying a lot. But that is what everybody... You have been to Midnight Yell, have you? <laughs> no, I haven't. That is one thing I've skipped. But taking your shoes off and holding them up in the air because the guy's last name is Shoemake, even though it's spelt differently, is just a very Texas A&M thing. But... No, I, I wish I'd have been there for Friday, honestly, to see a hit parade. It would have been a little bit more interesting, and I wouldn't be as sunburned as I am right now. But that was what you expected that team to be. And now that you've got a first-round pick pitching like a first-round pick, potentially, and Gunnar Hoagland, you have a complete rotation, and suddenly they're really dangerous. Not taking anything away from Ole Miss, though, but, man, A&M, particularly in those first two games, Booted the ball. They're not afraid to throw it at they, the tarp. Yeah, they looked they looked bad. Yeah, they threw one in the tarp. I don't think I could do that. Um, but yeah, they 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 kicked it around a few times. Hey, now, how do you feel about the matchup this weekend? And, and I know we've got four more days to talk about it. Well, three more because it's a Thursday, Friday, Saturday series. Um, but because the one thing that A and M does really, really well is pitch it. Doc Sackis was good. Uh, Asa Lacey was good, and then the the third guy that they threw, Roa, um, pretty good as well. We're maybe looking at kind of a dynamite pitching performance in Thursday and Friday's games when you you, you kind of match up State's guys with A&M's guys. We could, but one thing State has done done well all year is hit left-handers. So, you know, there's going to be some opportunities there for MSU to, to hit the ball again. But you, you should be right. I mean... It's been, well, those will be four Fridays in a row with Ethan Small. Right? It should have been with Emerson Hancock, but that he's been matched up with you know, one of the best in the SEC. And so far, he's, he's done pretty well, so we'll see what happens uh, over in College Station. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I guess good news if you hit left-handed pitching well, because Texas A&M, I think, has 326 left-handed arms. <laughs> well, then there you go. All set. Don't even have to make the trip. Just chalk it up. I don't know if A&M would sh- sign off on that. Uh, Chris Lamonis will join us next on the Farm Bureau phone line. Check out favorites.com and go with the home team. Sports Talk Mississippi with you Monday afternoon. Talking Scott Berry earlier about Southern Miss's sweep of Middle Tennessee. Mississippi State pulled off the same feat in Starkville this weekend, getting all three from the Georgia Bulldogs. Right now on the Farm Bureau phone line, Chris Lamonis joins us. Happy Monday, Coach. Uh, you, you sleep pretty well last night after uh, ripping off a sweep against a really good Georgia team? Yeah, we really did. It was a uh, good weekend, uh, bounce-back week for us. We had a tough weekend the weekend before, but uh, winning the Governor's Cup on Tuesday and then having the opportunity to you know, be a really good Georgia team at home uh, and gets, gets the team feeling good again. What's different offensively right now than maybe a couple of weeks ago? I think they got back. I mean, when we got back from Arkansas, our, our coaches did a great job of getting back in the cages and uh, just getting back to who we were. And we're a little bit more of a grinded out, uh, two-strike approach, you know, offense and, and uh, making pitchers work and, and doing those type of things. And when we do those, you know, we stay in the game that way. Uh, we're a really good offense. We've got a chance to have some depth in our lineup. I just think we had to get back to the basics. When you have a 19-run 
opening game of the series. Is there anything, and I'm not trying to be weird when I ask this, but is there anything concerning about scoring that many runs in the opening game of a series, or is that a, a dumb question? You know, and sometimes it is. You know, sometimes I've, I've had a game where you win fifteen to one, and next thing you lose one to nothing. You know, it's like the game can play you so differently. But for us, we need the confidence. We need to feel good. Uh, some guys were able to have some really good at bats, and then and then on an opening night of a, what happens in that game is is we don't have to use our really good bullpen arms, and they didn't have to use theirs. And so that's why the score gets out of whack on a Friday if somebody falls behind. Is they're yeah. saving their arms like for yesterday? We saw all the really good bullpen arms. Coach, it's Brian Haydad here. Peyton Plumlee might be the only pitcher in the country to have pitched as many innings as he did uh, last week, 10 and a third innings, uh, really, really pitched well for you. How important is he going to be now that you're really entering the stretch run of the season? Well, you know, it was one of the pieces that we've been looking for. And he's pitched well at times for us, but he went into a little skid. Um, but he pitched really well this past week. Just, you know, paddled the strike zone, had great off-speed early in the game yesterday. And, just, you know, he's a senior, so you got to – older guy there and that's a big piece for us I mean, we need to have a really good third starter and we actually need a really good fourth starter with uh, you know some of our guys and then be able to hold it together with our bullpen so I'm, I was pleased to see what he did last week Coach are you and Haydad okay I know it's a little back and forth <laughs> in a, uh, a post game press conference you're, you're, you guys going to be alright I'm fine I thought he was a little bitter at me so <laughs> Uh, he gave me, that was a good rib. He, he got me, and, and he, I won't. I'll take. I'll take the uh, the beating on that one, man. I, he, he got me good. Yeah, he was good. It was it was all in fun. Um, Jake Mangum, and, and I'm not sure exactly what the right question is to ask to go along with this because we talk about him every week when when we visit. But now he is the hit king. Um, how do you how do you put that? into context because I was talking with, with Joe Deere um, on Tuesday night in Pearl about that, and I said, you know, the crazy thing is when you look at the list of names that he's passed just this year, I mean, you're talking about SEC baseball royalty, and he now has more hits than any of those guys. No, that's right. And he just, um, it was, I've been in this game for a long time and had a chance to experience some cool things. Uh, that's at the top of the list this weekend. Just being able to see somebody do what he just did. Um, with the amount of pressure on him. I'm just so glad it was at home in front of our fans. I know it meant a lot to him to do it in front of our fans and to get that monkey off his back, I guess, a little bit. He, uh, for about a two-week period before it, he saw he was averaging about 1.1 pitches per at-bat. And uh, I think he saw more pitches in the at-bat after it just being relaxed, and now I can just get back to playing baseball. He was just in go mode. He was just swing, swing, swing. I mean, and it, you know, over the weekend, he had one of his better weekends this weekend after he got that hit, just having great at bats. But it was just cool. Just say, he's a professional about the way he does it. He takes every at bat personally, and um, he's very talented. I mean, that's it's, it's a combination of a lot of different things. I thought the whole pull the base up and hand it to him was pretty cool. I mean, I, I guess this shows my age a little bit, but I think of Ricky Henderson pulling the base yeah. up at second and kind of holding it up against his head. That's a pretty neat uh, pretty neat memento for him. Yeah, I think so. There will be a lot of mementos for him. And uh, our marketing people are great. They had it all laid out and everything planned. And, you know, the coolest piece to me is if you're really watching, um, his dad sits out in center field and he points to his dad, and his dad's a big part of who he is. And, I know he looks up to his dad a lot as a baseball player and as an athlete. So 
um, when they put all that together, shoot, it brings tears to your eyes, you know, when you're out there and seeing a special moment like that. Yeah. Hey, have you looked at the, the standings in the SEC West? No, I really, I'll be honest with you, I haven't looked at them a lot. I mean, it's just, uh, yeah, it's wasted time for me. It's just strap it on and get ready for the next team. I know we're all jumbled up a little bit. I would imagine Arkansas is up there because they've swept the last two weeks, but I think yeah. we're all in a pretty good spot to, to make a run. Well, to me, that's the the thing that's so crazy. You've got Arkansas at fifteen and six, and the Mississippi State, Ole Miss, LSU, all two games back at thirteen and eight, and then A and M at eleven, nine, and one. They've got that one time mixed in, but basically everybody plays each other over these final three weekends of the regular season. The, this race in the West is is incredible. Yeah, it's it's a lot of good teams. I mean, it's you're seeing. You know, we, we got to go on the road and do something. Play good baseball. That's going to be one of the bigger keys. Uh, one of the biggest, you know, of the season's been the home team has played really well. Um, we got to go out somewhere and make a statement. And we got a couple of road trips the next couple of weeks and um, against really good teams. So it'll be, should be a lot of fun. We were talking just before you came on about, about Texas A&M. They've got some struggles defensively, but the thing they do really, really well is, is pitch it. Um, Haydad pointed out that you guys have swung it really well against left-handers, and they've got maybe two of the best left-handers that you'll run out back-to-back. What's the approach against guys like that who are, are, are good velocity, they've got good breaking balls, and they've got some experience? We just got to grind it out. You know, I got uh, last year we got hooked up when I was in Indiana with um, Texas A&M. So we faced the caucus. We struck out 17 and in seven innings last year uh, in that Texas regional, and then we uh, beat one of their other lefties in the, in the next game. But it's a uh, it's a great matchup, and it's going to be, you know, we're going to have to really fight. Um we're going to have to really fight as we as we go in this weekend and compete offensively. Hey, last thing for you, and we always appreciate your time. The midweeks have been really, really good to you, the, the midweek games throughout the course of the season. And, and I don't know if people look at those games and, and think about that being the difference in being a regional host or not, or being a super regional, you know, a, a top eight national seed. Have you always put that much emphasis on midweek games? Is this year different that you've been able to stay out of dropping any of those games? You know, I think um, we, as a coach, you're always wanting to win them. And same with the players. We, we're just built. Our team is built with some pitching depth and pretty good offensively. Um, and we just played well in those games. And I, I think it's really going to help at the end of the day that, you know, we beat in East Carolina, who's a top 10 school in, in our out of conference, and Texas Tech and Sam Houston State. Southern Miss, who's playing really well right now. I mean, so I, I think those do help. And I think the fact, you know, one of the biggest things is, is you know, the bad losses. And sometimes bad losses can really hurt you in front of a committee. Um, our goal is to build a great resume, and, and we do it between the lines. And so um, we obviously got work to do still left in our last nine SEC games, but um, we're, we're happy with the way we've played in our midweeks. Well, you certainly have put yourself in a great position. Really appreciate your time on these Mondays, Coach. Thanks so much. All right. Have a good one, fellas. You as well. I think Cole Cheatham's the man. What a cool conversation. And how about a unique wish? A lot of of Disney World wishes, and that's great because, oh, Disney absolutely rolls out the red carpet. And that's a really cool experience for uh, for a lot of kids. And going to potentially meet your favorite athlete, awesome experience. Cole was a little unique, though. Doesn't he get some bonus points for uh, for picking the Rose Bowl as his wish? Yeah, that's something that's really really cool. You know, just to 
Because chances are, you know, you can go to a game sometimes, even without the, the benefits and, and what what the great stuff that Make-A-Wish does. You might just be able to go to a game with your favorite player and, and something like that. But going to the Rose Bowl is something that, especially for a kid from Mississippi, you're not likely to do. You just aren't. So a really cool wish, and I'm glad he was able to, to get that done. I don't even think they let Kirk Herbstreet step on the grass prior to the game. And there's Cole bebopping out to the 50-yard line, standing on the painted rose to take a picture. That is so cool. What are you laughing about, Rippy? Nothing. Herbstreet has kind of a love affair with the Rose Bowl, too. Yeah. <laughs> now, now I'm laughing. I don't even. What are we laughing at here? I, I have no idea what Rippy's laughing at. Nothing. You just said something about them not letting Herb straight on the field. It might be because the bronzer might taint the grass. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I love about Rippy? <laughs> I love that Rippy can sit there and tell a joke in his head to nobody. And then just completely, nearly fall out of his chair laughing, knowing that all it's gonna the, the response it's gonna elicit is no, tell us, tell us, tell us. Woo! I couldn't resist there. Sorry, carry it, on. Did, didn't you say something about Herb Street and a spray tan the other day? Yeah, uh, someone else matched him like, like I guess shade for shade. I don't know what it was. Uh, I don't remember who was sitting next to him at the draft, but someone tried to alpha him on the whole spray tan game. <laughs> Wasn't Desmond Howard? I, I don't think so. I can't. Maybe McShay. McShay or Wingo? Yeah, I don't know about Wingo. I've never seen him. McShay uh, really screams spray tan guy. He does. There's, maybe there's maybe a, he wants a little color without exposing himself to the sun's deadly rays. I'm not hating on the spray tan guy, but there's definitely a persona. What's McShay, the persona? Mm, Frosted tips. Jesse Palmer. Jordan Rogers, spray tan guy. So former athletes that dress well get spray tanned? That's fair. Do they dress well, though? Because the skinny ties Jesse Palmer wears need to be cut off of them, like with a big pair of scissors. Who's the NFL guy that used to have the fat ones? Merrill Hodge, you remember that? Oh, man. Those were massive. <laughs> were with the, with like the triple, the triple wins or not he'd have working up there? <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm not sure what was going on up top with those uh He's trying to sell advertising space nuts. on it. Um there's a there's a concept. <laughs> That's something for you. NASCAR logos on a on a necktie. Uh, seems to not. be some value there. Let's well, what not. would you think Merrill Hodge's tie would be worth on ESPN pregame show? Big sponsor not, right on the middle of that thing. Not as much as Jim Nance's tie. No. Well because he gives it to a Special recipient. Uh, wait, so you're saying if Kirk Herbstreet wore a tie on college game day that had an advertisement on it? How much would that be worth? How much could he sell it for if he wore the same tie? Well, maybe not the same tie, but the same sponsor on the knot of his tie for, what is it, 14 college game day shows during the season. What would that be See, worth? I don't I don't think you could do it on the knot. I think you'd have to do it like vertically on the wide part of the tie that kind of goes... Just a, um, a yellow tie with black stripes just as Pennzoil. <laughs> <laughs> a red tie with a big yellow McDonald's logo. Yes! The, the golden arches in the middle golden of it. Arches. Yeah, what right. would McDonald's pay for that space? I mean, it's easily worth a million dollars, right? Yeah, I mean, what do they get? 
five, six million people to watch every Saturday, somewhere around there. Well, and the amount of people that would be talking about it and making fun of it online, it would be a viral marketing sensation. That would be more important than the people that saw it on television. Maybe it's more like five million. I think we should start making some phone calls. What, like we can do that? No, like pitching that idea and us taking a cut. Yeah, I don't, I don't think it works. But the it's intellectual square an inch above the, the pocket. The, the, and it just says, ceasefire. <laughs> this gets like recorded. Street for the record, too. Like, I didn't mean to torture him, but you just said pain and grass, and, like, I couldn't resist. Yeah, yeah. He's great. Um, I mean, I don't want to say that there's no amount of money, but it would take a whole, whole lot of money. So before your next for me bat- to put a logo on my tie. So before your next TV game, if C Spire said, "Hey, Richard, will give you five grand to wear this tie for this game," you wouldn't do it. Not for five. No. You wouldn't wear a C Spire tie for five grand. Call me C Spire. I'll do it. I would wear a C Spire Speedo on TV for five grand. I got bigger advertising space. Absolutely, wear a C Spire golf shirt. Not on, not on my tie. No. Sports Talk Mississippi. Hey, you remember that guy a couple of years ago that played shortstop at LSU? Um, you know, he always wore the uh, the specialty shoes. Kramer Robertson. Kim Mulkey's kid. Who's Kim Mulkey? Basketball coach at Baylor. Oh, yeah, that's right. Because sometimes they would show her or talk about her when we would see him on TV, right? Now no, what they what they would do is they would sometimes show a baseball game when they were showing her on TV at a baseball game. I mean, you would have you thought she was George Clooney or something with the amount of times they showed her on television at the games. You, you know where Kim Mulkey is today? She's at the White House. At the White House! You know what she's being served to eat? Chick-fil-A, which is way better than what Clemson got. Well, it's not just Chick-fil-A, it's... There, there are lots of different options. But if Chick Fil A is one of the options, that's the only option. Has um, has the president taken a joke that was really funny, and realized that it's not as funny if you tell the same joke to the same people seventeen times? I don't think he, he realized it was a joke. Well, and it's a little bit different with the the women, the Baylor women's basketball team, right? When you're serving. Clemson football when you've got 350 pound six foot eight dudes yeah they're probably pumped that they can eat six Big Macs in one sitting but you got to class it up a little bit for the women's basketball team Chick-fil-A Wendy's and McDonald's on the menu today for the national championship celebration may I tip my cap though to Baylor women's basketball for accepting the invitation to the White House regardless of how you feel about the president Creating an opportunity for uh, a young group of women and all the people associated with that basketball team in which they get to take a tour of the White House and meet the President of the United States. I mean, I mean that, that, I, I'm serious. It's the least political thing I've ever said. It would make absolutely no difference to me if the President were Donald Trump or Barack Obama or Bill Clinton or either of the George Bushes. The idea of not taking advantage of the opportunity to go to the White House to celebrate a national championship is is such a foreign concept to me. 
I, I can't even begin to understand the rationale behind that. Did Virginia didn't Virginia decline the men's team decline the invitation? Yeah, they did. yeah. and Tony Bennett was gracious in his tweet, but I mean, he, he said, you know, look, with our guys going pro and spreading that all over the place, logistically, it's not going to work. It's cop out, man. Charlottesville's two hours from DC, maybe three. Come yeah. on. Yeah, that's one of those you don't expect anybody to believe that, do you? Kind of things. I mean, I get what he's saying. They have, what, three guys that are off training for the draft at this point? The thing about Washington, D.C. is I think they have a gym or two, place where you can train. Actually, a professional team. I, I don't know. There's options. Yeah. Anyway, I just think it's cool that Baylor went. And, I mean, I don't really care what they serve them food-wise one way or the other. But rolled out the fast food once again. Kind of a boon to the local economy. I would is Trump, love. Is Trump still paying for all these deals out of his own pocket? I think ultimately the taxpayers are paying for this kind of thing. I'm probably <laughs> wrong, but that kind of that's kind of how this works. Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, just after five o'clock with you on this Monday afternoon, Sports Talk Mississippi in the Renaissance Bank Studio. Coming up next, we're going to get to winners and losers. I think I might know who is. At the top of the winner's list. We'll just call him King, as in the hit king. Oh, I thought you were talking about the night king who died. May he rest in peace. He would but... be a loser. Look, guys. Come on. <laughs> come on. You have to Richard's entertain like, us a little bit. I gave you bit. a few minutes at the beginning of the show. That's all you get. No more. Sports Talk Mississippi brought to you every day by Mississippi Land Bank. Online at mslandbank.com. If you wanted to buy a piece of land in the country and then completely nerd out like Hey Dad and Borky and like recreate the fight scene from Game of Thrones? Well, you could do that. It's called LARPing. On your ver- LARPing? What is that? <laughs> He's right. It is called LARPing. Live action role play is what it's called. It's where people fight with foam swords and pretend like they're in the year 1200. Richard had no idea that was a real thing. I did not. They um, do it on the old, or they used to do it on the old Miss campus. I know that. I think they do it at Shiloh, too. They just call it reenactments. It's a little different, but sure. Yeah, it is a little different. A little you get different. to create your own character and also hit people with foam swords. So, oh, Would you rather hit people with foam swords or shoot fake guns? Well, they're real guns. with. But blanks, man. I'd rather hit somebody. If I had the choice, I'd rather hit somebody with something. Anyway, we digress. I was just saying if you wanted to LARP on your own land, Mississippi Land Bank could help you do that. I don't even know what that means, but apparently you guys do, so we're, we're all set. Also, if you wanted to buy a tractor, needed to refinance an existing loan, needed production loans, crop loans for the farm, Mississippi Land Bank can help. Online, mslandbank.com, Mississippi Land Bank, where they know the lay of the land. Right now, time for the college football fix. College football fix is driven by Ford and your local Mississippi Ford dealers. Log on to buyfordnow.com. Find out why the best-selling trucks are built Ford tough. They're wrapping up the spring sales event. Great deals going on your favorite Fords. Maybe it's the Explorer, the Expedition, or the F-Series. The best-selling truck in America for 42 straight years. Test drive one today at your local Mississippi Ford dealers. Draft picks by state in which they played high school. 33 for the state of Florida. 27 in Texas, 21 in California. Are they getting soft in California with football? Eh. 
I don't know if they're getting soft so much as I mean it's just. Well, here's a guess. The college football programs in the state of California have not been good, and if they're not good, they're still getting in-state players but not producing them and turning them over into NFL guys. Maybe there's something to that. That's 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 a good explanation, I think. 14 players from the state of Georgia, 13 from Ohio, Louisiana, Mississippi, and Virginia all produce 10. Which, by Nine the way, North- makes Mississippi per million the number one state in producing draft picks per million in the country. So it's basically 3.5 per million people? 3.3 yeah. per million people? Which is number one in the United States of America. That's impressive. Alabama, Tennessee, Washington all produced six. You had a bunch of states that produced five. Players that come from specific schools in the first three rounds. How about this? First three rounds of the draft... Alabama and Ohio State both had five. Michigan, Clemson, Oklahoma, Ole Miss, Mississippi State, and Washington all produce four players that go in the first three rounds of the draft. Kentucky had three players go in the first three rounds for the first time in school history. Boston College also had three that went in the first three rounds. And one-third, 49 of the 144 early entrants into the draft went undrafted. Long past time where a stipulation gets put in like basketball, right? At this point, if if you are almost 50 kids that ruin their chance at a free degree, ruin their chance at more development, all that stuff, to try to get money for whatever reason, circumstances change, families change, some people just need to go get money. It's not always about, well, they thought they would get picked. It's at, Sometimes it's, or maybe I, I have a, a baby on the way, or, or my family needs money. We need to put something in place, just like basketball, to where they can put their names, get evaluated, go through that process, and then come back to school if need be. Because this is, I mean, we, we're kicking 49 guys out on the streets now with no option further. Yeah. Because this isn't, this isn't, you know, basketball where, okay, I didn't get drafted. I guess I'm going to go overseas and I can still make really good money. I mean, I don't know how anybody's – you can't really trust the the other leagues in America. You can go to Canada, but there's nobody up there making huge money. So, yeah, I mean, I, I agree. There, there needs to be something done where you can, you know, get a little bit more information, go through the process, and then get back. Quarterbacks make decent money in Canada. Canadian-born players make decent money in Canada. But if you're an offensive lineman, it's just up there trying to go make a team. I got a buddy that, that was uh, graduated high school with, played at Ole Miss, went and played for a year in Canada, or for a few weeks in Canada. He's making like 700 bucks a month. Yeah. You can't survive on that. No. I, 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 I agree, Borky. I, I don't know what exactly that looks like. Do you allow them to go through the combine if they're invited? Is it just to go through pro day workouts? You know, those pro day workouts really stretch until just a couple of weeks before the start of the draft. So, are you allow, going to allow guys to hold off on their decision that long? Do you just allow them to go through an evaluation process where they meet with NFL teams but don't work out for them? I guess with basketball, you can actually work out for individual teams, get that evaluation, and then go back. 
But I think in principle I agree with you that it would be nice for guys to be able to declare for the draft, get some feedback from NFL teams, and then either choose to stay in the draft, at which point their eligibility would be done, or go back to school. I like where you're going with that. That's your college football fix, driven by Ford and your local Mississippi Ford dealers. Coming up next, winners and losers on this Monday. Pushed it back an hour. Doesn't mean we're going to forget about it. Let's go to winners and losers and jump. Got losers. We got losers. Americans love a winner, and will not tolerate a loser. Win Borky, sorry the awkward for the uh, awkward transition there from Van Halen to winners and losers. I actually did a pretty cool little thing. I, I moved both leathers levers with one hand, and I was I felt like a superhero doing that. So that was kind of cool. So thank you for the confidence boost today. Yeah, absolutely. What do we uh, What do we call you? Ira or Ira? What's her name? Aria. Aria. <laughs> Aria. You're You're slaying it just like Aria on the big board in the studio. Atta well boy. done. Like well that. done. All right, uh, hey Dad, I'm going to give you the honor. You want to go first today on winners and losers? Pretty easy choice uh, for me because I got to witness a little bit of history on uh, Saturday as Jake Mangum ascended to the throne. Oh, I thought you were going with Toronto for their game one win over Philly. Big win. Don't get me wrong. Uh, But, no, Jake Mangum now the all-time leading uh, hitter in the history of the Southeastern Conference, and now every hit he adds to that uh, total will just put that record a little further out of reach. You know, you say records are are made to be broken. It will take a hell of a baseball player to break Jake Mangum's record uh, when when it's all said and done, and we'll see how high he can climb. I don't think he can get – okay, I know he can't get to the – the all-time record just because of, of how far out it is. But it's going to be interesting to see how far he can get. He could end up as maybe the third or fourth all-time leading history, hitter in the history of college baseball. And today, named SEC Player of the Week, I don't know if you're going to believe this, Richard, for the first time in his career. Really? Yeah. It's um, it's a neat story. And it's been a steady career. You know, he wasn't an everyday starter until about the midway point of the season of his freshman year. Yeah. And what hit over 400 as a freshman mm-hmm. uh, has continued to hit and hit and hit. Um, I've heard and read some stories. Uh, I think Bart Gregory, uh, I, I saw he put this on Twitter, and I thought it was really cool. Uh, he was talking about his son, who uh, who I met earlier this year. Um, great kid. And he playing, what, an eight-, nine-, ten-year-old baseball, hits ball on the ground, doesn't matter if it's an easy play, he runs as hard as he can to first base. And Bart said on Twitter, he said, I asked him, why do you do that? He said, because that's how Jake does it. And I thought it was interesting to um, to be reminded that, that what you see on Friday nights and Saturdays and Sundays in the SEC rubs off on kids that are watching games. It's pretty yeah, cool. Absolutely. Yeah, really cool. So, yeah, for Jake Mangum. And then you, you mentioned kids. I watched him Saturday and Sunday just stay and sign autographs till 
30, 40, 50 minutes after the game, just hanging out there in the outfield, signing autographs. He went back out to the outfield after the game Saturday and recognized all the fans out there. A couple of people had put up some banners celebrating, you know, his, his numbers, and he went out there and had a word with them. So Jake Mangum was the king of Starkville uh, this weekend, no question about it. Very cool. Rippy, you got a winner? You're, you're thinking about it like you didn't realize that I was going to come to you and ask for a winner. I'll go. I didn't know. I didn't know which way we were going. Okay, go ahead, Borky. Yeah. Rippy needs another minute to think. Well, outside of Jake Mangum for being the first guy to break a hitting record while surviving the Vietnam War, um, <laughs> Pete Rose survived the Vietnam War. He was he was alive through it. He didn't go to it. I'm just saying. Um, recruiting services. So recruiting. Evaluating recruits is not an exact science. There are thousands of examples of guys that were two stars that ended up being really good players. That's all true. However, as a general rule, recruiting services are really good at their jobs. Less than 1% of all recruits are five-star players. 25% of the first round was a five-star recruit. 10% of all recruits are five- and four-star players, yet 53% of the players taken in the first round were four- and five-star players. Recruiting services generally get it right. Recruiting rankings do indicate talent. And it shows every year in the draft and yet again bore it out this year. Then don't forget everybody be like, look at all the three-stars who were drafted. They don't matter. And they don't get that, that point you just made, which is the overwhelming majority of players are three-stars. Of course, there are going to be more of them drafted. There are but a few thousand the high of draft choices. Those are the five-star kids. Kind of kind of punches a hole in the whole stars don't matter argument. No, nah, stars totally matter. They don't have to matter for certain players. You can, If you get a two-star, you can be a good college and professional player, but as a general rule, the higher the star ranking, the better the prospect, and the numbers bear that out. It's undeniable. Rippy, give me a winner. Josh Rosen. Okay. Yeah. Well, I guess really the Dolphins. Acquired a top ten pick for a second round pick, and you don't really know what he is, but like you have a thought, like you have an idea, and for a team that signed Fitzmagic as basically a placeholder to rebuild, they probably have more of a direction now, wouldn't you think? I mean, the, Josh Rosen graded graded higher than any of the quarterbacks picked in the first round this year. That they got a first round quarterback for a second round pick, and they don't have to pay the signing bonus. Yes. And a potential franchise quarterback for that cheap. I was saying this last week. It might be the cheapest ever if he turns out to be, you know, a ten-year starter. Yeah, it's uh, it's pretty good. Thomas Dillard on the winners list for me uh, has the uh, the walk-off two-run single on Thursday night to give Ole Miss an eleven-inning win over Texas A&M, and then on uh, on Saturday scores the winning run. And so he gets to uh, run home and spike his helmet or throw it into the air and get chased around on the field and have water thrown at him by his teammates twice in one weekend. That's uh, it's a pretty good weekend of work for Thomas Dillard. Came from the right side of the plate, too. How about that? Both times? Um, well, he walked to get on when he scored the game-winning run. That's uh, right. The big play in the game-winning run was going first to third. Yeah, that pretty much is what won him the game. Yeah. Uh, anybody got a loser? I got one. Tell it. Georgia baseball. I mm. thought they were good. I mean, I, I know I don't want to put too much on State was swept last weekend, but they just got handled. And the pitching, which I thought was going to be really, really good, was not. 
Hitting-wise, they couldn't put anything together. Defensively, their catcher, they had five wild pitches, and I know wild pitches aren't technically on the catcher, but they kind of are. And, and they just they just didn't they didn't look anything like a baseball team that was ranked as high as number three in the country. They just looked like a plain old middle-of-the-road baseball team. I was not impressed with Georgia at all. Hey, I got another winner. Do it. Your New York Yankees have won nine of their last ten. Here we go with this. Anything you don't agree with, you roll your eyes at, and then you go, oh, here we go. I know where you're going. No, I I was not even going to mention where you think I'm going. All right. I was not going to point out who they've won two or three in a row against. Three. It's three in a row, I think. Yeah. Um, Wasn't going to mention it. Still not going to mention it. You're sort of mentioning it right now. It's on you, brother. <laughs> that is all on you. you guys. Rippy, you got a loser? NBA refs. The Rockets complaining about calls, like... Seems like the leagues turned more to like how in the world do you like bait an official into making a call instead of actually playing the whole landing area thing. I don't know if you watched the game yesterday. It was tough to digest. Did the Rockets get screwed? No, not really. I mean, they're so, saying they did. Well, there, of course, like any internet conversation, there's zero nuance, and like some of them were fouls. Like some of them, Kevin Durant and Draymond Green were walking under the shooter, not letting them land, which is a rule that started because you know Zaza Pachulia injured Kawhi Leonard in Game 1 of the Western Conference Finals a couple years ago. That's kind of how the rule got emphasized and implemented. Some of them were, but some of them were hardened, and Chris Paul sticking their legs out, sticking their hips out, trying to get a call. So, sort of, I guess. Yeah, but for all the whining of the Rockets about not getting the, the right foul calls, how much does James Harden get away with? A lot. He gets away with traveling, and he gets officiated differently than any player in the league. He's so, like, the last person that should be complaining about that. Yeah, he said he wants a fair shake. I was like, good lord. You get more than a fair shake. A loser-slash-winner combo for me. Loser Will Wade because he's yet again on a separate tape. Well, it's not him talking about it, but uh, in court today, a video wiretap. Uh, secondhand information says Will Wade got a deal in place for $300,000 in favor of Nas Reed. And then the winner in this situation is LSU because they were playing 6D chess when everybody else is playing checkers. They reinstated Will Wade, but completely changed his contract to where when they fire him, which is coming after the next round of exposure, they won't owe him near as much as they would have if they had fired him a few weeks ago. So they reinstated him, but changed his contract to save them money. And because there's a $300,000 deal now being talked about in federal court, that's coming very soon. Will Will Wade coach LSU in their season opener in November? Nope. No. Not after today. No. Just not convinced the NCAA is going to do anything. And am I to believe that LSU is going to do something? I don't know. They set themselves up to be able to do it anyway. Sports Talk Mississippi, those are your winners and losers.
Super Talk Mississippi Media Production.